Hello, Brian Zond here. Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast. We'll get to the message in just a moment, but I want to let you know that we have an online prayer school coming up at the first of the year. You know, the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we think God ought to do, but to be properly formed. That's what prayer school is all about. And so January 8, 9, and 10, I'm doing two online prayer schools. One is at 1 p.m. Central Time, and then there's another one, 7 p.m. Central Time. So whatever, you know, works for you, you can pick which one you want to be a part of. And you can get registered for this online prayer school by going to wolc.com slash prayer school. You can register for a donation of any amount. So prayer school coming up January 8, 9, and 10. Get registered. Today we've, we've lit the joy candle, and I want to pray for you that the joy candle would be lit. Amen. Lord, I pray. I pray for this congregation. Lord, we've, we've lit the joy candle on the third Sunday of Advent. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, the scripture says. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would use what I'm about to preach as the wick, the light, the fire, the flame that would ignite the spirit of joy within the hearts of everyone who is here today or joining us in this moment online. I pray that the Holy Spirit would come as a holy flame and light the candle of joy in their heart. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 All right, well, during Advent, I've been preaching on the incarnation as the greatest wonder of all. 20 years ago, I had a mystical experience in the Rocky Mountains where I was overwhelmed by the beauty of nature, and I prayed and said, God, I want to live my life in a constant state of wonder. And God replied, surprising. Surprising. I wasn't expecting a, a response. There was an instant response. This is the greatest wonder of all. The Word became flesh. And indeed, that is the greatest wonder of all. So on the first Sunday, I invited you just to, to enter into this vast mystery of the Word becomes flesh, that God becomes human, that immortality becomes mortal. I love that new song. Everybody's talking about that new song. I don't know who wrote that, but my hat's off to them. That's, that, 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 that arrival song that we just did, it has early church vibes. I mean, just the lyrical content is similar to the kind of hymns that were common in the early church because they were drawn into this mystery of the infinite within an infant. That sort of thing. Was, they, would, they would write a lot of songs about that because there's so much wonder in it. And then last Sunday, I talked about uh, some of the implications of the incarnation. I mean, what is, we have God becoming one of us, becoming human. Well, why? What's the implications? And I talked about rec recapitulation. That's a theological term. Or the rebooting of humanity. That we get a new start. That, that unto us a child is given. Unto us a son is born. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is 
the new progenitor, the, the new Adam, the everlasting father, the head of a new human race in him. And now today, today, I mean, next time we come in here, we're in Bethlehem, okay? We're in Bethlehem when we arrive here. I mean, we're there, we're there you know, at the stable, the magi, the shepherds, all that. So today I've got to sum this up. So today I'm going to show you what is truly, truly the greatest wonder of all. The wonder that through the incarnation we are given power to become children of God. John chapter 1 verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. The word joined us in humanity that we might have power, capacity to become truly the sons and daughters of God. God in Christ became a child of a woman that we might become children of God. What Jesus is by nature, we are called to become by grace. That's the sermon, but there's so much there. That's all dense. That's concentrated. So let me, let's, let's let it open up. And to open up, we have to go back to quite near to the beginning Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us make humankind, Adam, in our image, according to our likeness. We're eavesdropping on the Trinity. The triune God in council says, we said, let there be light and there is. We created stars and planets. We created this planet capable of sustaining life. We've created plants and animals. Let us take it to the next level. Let us create a being, we'll call him Adam, humankind. Let us create a creature like God, like us. Let us create humankind in our image, according to our likeness, let's create one that is like us. And so God formed humankind of the dust of the earth, breathed upon him the breath of life, and humankind became a living soul. But at the origin of humanity, we enter the story as spiritual children. We have to grow up. We're not, we're not ready for everything yet. We're not ready. You understand as children, you can't know everything. 
And you shouldn't know everything. There's an innocence before you can enter into knowledge. And so there was a prohibition placed upon knowledge. Eventually we would grow into it, but we had to wait. We had to grow up. But so there was a prohibition. There was, there was a tree whose fruit we were not to eat. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eventually we would grow into knowledge, but we're still children. We need to be patient. I've said that wisdom and patience are so closely related, they're almost the same thing. And so a creature like God has entered the story, male and female, humankind, but they're still spiritually immature. It's not time for them to try to know too much. Have to grow up, be patient. But into the story slithers a serpent. And the serpent says, oh, you're being held back, man. God's holding that on you. You should just go ahead and pluck that fruit, eat that knowledge, and you'll become like God. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's the call of humanity to begin with. The Holy Trinity says, let us create a being like us. And now the serpent is saying, lay hold of the knowledge and you'll become like us. So where's the sinful temptation? Because to be like God is our telos, our calling. That's what we're created to be. So where is the sinful part of the serpent's temptation? Oh, it's this. It's subtle. The, the, the serpent was more subtle than the beasts of the field. The temptation was to become God apart from God through knowledge alone. Thank you, God. Glad that you created me. You can step aside now. I don't need God. I don't need union with God. I don't need God. I've got knowledge. And I'll become like God. And Adam and Eve transgressed, ate of the forbidden fruit, now death enters the story. But they did become gods of a kind. They became gods of death. Subject to death and wielding death. Inflicting death. So that the first child born of Adam and Eve is a murderer of his brother. And history rolls on and rolls on. And you know what? We ate the forbidden fruit and we gained knowledge. Let me tell you about it. We did. We gained knowledge. And the knowledge has increased exponentially. Less than 100 years ago, we began to make fundamental discoveries of the nature of the universe. We're understanding the, the basic building blocks of physics. We're, under, we're knowing. We're knowing we're, I see how this all works. And as in our knowledge, as we understand how the, how the universe actually works at its most basic level. What is the first applied science that we use with that? We say, you know what? You could build a really big bomb with this knowledge. Lords of death. And so we did. We built atomic bombs. Atomic bombs. 
and drop them on other children of God. Robert Oppenheimer was in charge of the Manhattan Project, the top secret mission to create an atomic bomb. And the first test detonation in the New Mexico desert of an atomic bomb was codenamed Trinity. You shall be like God. So they call, they call it Trinity. I mean, come on. And when, in the dead of night, for the first time, an atomic bomb is detonated, Robert Oppenheimer quotes from the Bhagavad Gita and says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Well, the scripture says it this way. It says something similar. Psalm 82, verse 6. I say, you are gods. Children of the Most High. All of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like mortals. Much later, Jesus quotes this psalm. John chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus answered, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. If those to whom the word of God came were called gods, and the scripture cannot be annulled, can you say that the one whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world is blaspheming because I said, I am God's son? So the scripture says, you are gods. Jesus says, that's right. That is your calling. And he calls them gods to whom the word of God came. Now, the word of God first came as the law, chiseled in stone tablets. And then it comes through the prophets inscribed upon parchment. But finally, the word of God comes to us, not chiseled in stone, not inscribed upon parchment, but the word, the logos, the word of God became human flesh. God, the word, became one of us, became human. The word of God has come to us now, not as a text, but as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, this is the greatest wonder of all, the word become flesh. But the true greatness of the wonder is why, why, why did the Word become flesh? Why? Why did the Word, the eternal Logos of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, why did the Word assume human flesh? Well, the answer to the question is what the church fathers, those are those earliest Christian theologians called theosis in Greek or deification in Latin, meaning to become like God. There are some sentences in books that are so well-crafted or so profound or so provocative that they become famous in their own right, like Shakespeare's to be or not to be. That is the question. 
in Hamlet. You know, if you've never read Hamlet, but you still know that line. To be or not to be, that is the question. Or in Dickens, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. The opening line of A Tale of Two Cities. Or one of my favorites, Dostoevsky's Beauty Will Save the World. A line from The Idiot. Well, Christian theology has a line like that. A single sentence that's become famous in its own right. And it was written 17 centuries ago by a bishop theologian by the name of Athanasius of Alexandria. He was born in the year 296 in Egypt. He is one of Christianity's greatest thinkers. He's one of the doctors of the church. A doctor is a, is a title bequeathed upon certain individuals who the church recognizes as being great theologians and very reliable and that their theology can treat your soul. Doctors of the church. He's one of the doctors of the church. Athanasius' greatest work is a book called On the Incarnation. You know, a book that's been read for 17 centuries. People still reading, still reading, still reading. On the Incarnation by Athanasius. It's the foundational work for theology on the incarnation. If you want to know, if you're going to be serious about incarnation theology, you start here. There's other things to read, but you start here. Athanasius on the incarnation. And this book has one of those sentences that is so profound, so provocative, that it's become famous in its own right. It comes, it comes very near the end of the book. My little copy here, page 101. The sentence goes like this. The word of God himself indeed assumed humanity that we might become God. Often it's, you know, this is going to be a translation because it was written in Greek. Uh, the more famous treatment or translation of that phrase is God became man that man might become God. That hits, that's, that's, that's like, poof. I mean, you, can, you can't hear that sentence and not think something about it. That's not like a throwaway sentence. That, like, you'll sit up in your seat and go, what? This sentence packs a punch, so much so that it often makes modern Christians, not ancient Christians, but modern Christians quite nervous. Now, of course, we can build the necessary theological boundaries around it and acknowledge that we are not divine in essence, as the Trinity is, but we are invited by grace to become sharers or participants in the divine nature. As it says in 2 Peter 1.4, he has given us his precious and magnificent promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, which is just another way of saying become like God, which is what went through the mind of the Trinity when God dreamt us up. Let us create humankind in our image according to our likeness. But I have this question. Why are modern Christians so nervous about what was you know, accepted theology in early Christianity? Why are we so nervous about that? Well, I, th I think there's numerous reasons, but I think the, probably 
the best explanation is salvation has been cheapened. It's been reduced to heaven and hell minimalism. Altar call revivalism born in the 19th century. Salvation has been devalued to the point where it's little more than a ticket to heaven. That salvation is, in the modern Christian mind, is most often thought of as, ah, you know, it's, 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 so, so you go to a good place when you die. You know, you got to get your reservations. I'm going to go to heaven, not hell. Pray the prayer. Get your ticket. You're good to go. Now, I'm, I'm being a little bit mocking, but not very much. That's pretty much what it is. In this version of salvation, what's being saved is not you. What's being saved is your location, your destination. You, you yourself are not being fundamentally altered. It's just you're going to land in a better location. But that is not the salvation of the New Testament. And it's not the salvation of early Christianity, which the salvation of early Christianity, the apex of was theosis, to be made like God. And it wasn't just Athanasius who talked so boldly about theosis and deification. I don't want you to think, well, you know, he was this one-off guy. Now, he's, he may be a doctor of the church, and he is. Uh, but, you know, he was just a one-off. No, he wasn't. This, his book on the incarnation is the most famous, but he's not saying something that was rare. I'll give you some examples. I'll, I'll give you, uh, at least in the Western church, there's been 36 doctors of the church. That's over 2,000 years, so not a lot. I'll give, I'll give you statements on theosis from four doctors of the church. We'll start with Irenaeus, born in the year 130. You know who Irenaeus was? Irenaeus is one of the doctors of church, early church theologian, but, but he was the disciple of Polycarp, who was the disciple of John, the evangelist. Dang. <laughs> He's like the spiritual grandson of the guy that read what I just, that wrote what I just read, <laughs> the gospel of John. Irenaeus says, the son of God became what we are in order to make us what he is himself. Then there's Gregory of Naz Nazianzus. Gregory of Nazianzus, who has another title. He's also known as Gregory the Theologian. Gregory the Theologian. He, he's like, you know, the Ohio State University. <laughs> he's the theologian. <laughs> now appearing in Patristics, Gregory the Theologian. He says this. Let us become as Christ is. Since Christ became as we are, let us become gods for his sake, since he became man for our sake. And then there's Gregory of Nyssa, probably the big dogs among big dogs. We're, we're talking about church fathers. Gregory of Nyssa. He says, the word became incarnate so that he might make us as he is. And then one more, lest, lest you think these are all the, the Eastern Greek-speaking fathers that talk like this. No, I've got, I've got one from Augustine, the great, the great Western Latin-speaking church father. The Son of God became the Son of Man that he might make the sons of men sons of God. 
Augustine was a far better writer. He wasn't a better theologian. <laughs> I think the Greeks are the better theologians, but he, he's the better writer. And so he, he's got a poetic flair to him. I'll read that one again. The son of God became the son of man that he might make the sons of men sons of God. All right, so these, these are the words of uh, ancient Christian thinkers. How about, how about a, re, a modern? Somebody says, yeah, give me somebody modern. How about a modern revered thinker? Christian thinker. How about uh, C.S. Lewis? That'd be a good one. In 1942, C.S. Lewis preached a now famous sermon entitled The Weight of Glory. And in The Weight of Glory, he says this. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. There are no ordinary people. There are no ordinary people because we are the sons and daughters of God. And to be like God was our calling from the beginning. You know, that's, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. But we're, 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 we enter the story as spiritual children. We're not mature yet. We need to grow up. We have to wait on some things. But we're impatient. And so seduced by the serpent, we reach for the tree of the knowledge. And we think, oh, I don't need God. I just need knowledge. And that just leads to death. I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. But you know what? Let me just tell you something. God is not going to let the serpent win. Well, In the council of the Trinity, they say, yeah, but, the, but now there's a snake. He's messed everything up. No. God arrives in the garden, begins to mete out judgment, and when he gets to the serpent, he says, you know what? I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. You shall bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. This is the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, the first good news, Genesis 3.15. It's a mysterious prophecy that one born of woman will enter the story and stomp on the snake. <laughs> God's not going to let the serpent win. The seed of the woman undoes all the damage done by the serpent. God in Christ became a child of woman that we might become children of God. God in Christ became a child of woman. That's the mystery we're exploring. That's what we're entering into. The infinite as an infant. God in Christ became a child of woman that we might become children of God. That is to participate in the divine nature and become like God. That's the fullness of salvation. And what, and what will our full theosis be like? What will it be like when we become like God? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. I mean, that's something to wonder about. I do know this, beloved. This is the spiritual grandfather of Irenaeus wrote this. <laughs> the spiritual grandfather of Irenaeus wrote this. Beloved, 
we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. You know, a little baby, they're, they're, there they are. But it's not, it's not, it's not yet fully revealed. What, what are they going to be when they grow up? Well, we don't know. We don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. The fullness of salvation is not just to arrive in the good place. The fullness of salvation is to behold Christ and reflect that very same image back. To become like God. That's the fullness of salvation. And so, we wait for that. Because it is, it is, ultimately, it is ultimately a work of grace. That's one of the barriers. We're not like God in our essence, but we can be like God through grace. That, that we're given the invitation to participate in the divine nature. I didn't, I'm just thinking of it just now. I should have prepared this. I didn't, sorry. Uh, in Rublev's Hospitality of Abraham or Rublev's Trinity, there's a copy of it in the upper room if you want to go in after church and see it. Um, you have these three figures seated at a table in one sense, they're the three angels that Abraham encounters under the oaks of Mamre, but they, no, they really represent Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the perichoresis dance of eternal love. But there's this little weird little, if you look on the table that they're at, facing the viewer, there's this little rectangular hole. And what used to be there was a mirror. A mirror. And what, the, what Rublev was trying to communicate was that God is inviting us to join the dance and participate in the divine nature. This is the fullness of salvation. This is what should light the candle of joy in your heart. That no matter what, in the end, I'm going to be like Jesus. Because that's, that's the tractor beam of grace is pulling me toward that. But we don't just sit idly. And wait for the culmination of our salvation. We're not idle. We, we press on toward the goal. We press on, Paul says. I, says. I haven't yet attained it, but I press on. And so we become like God, not by knowledge. That was the first mistake way back when. We become like God, not by knowledge, but by union with God in Christ. We we. We attain union with God. And then we become like God. Not by knowledge. Theology is good. I've this, this, my cup overfloweth with theology this morning. This is a very theological sermon. I get that. I make no mistake. I make no apology for it. But, but it's a very theological sermon. Theology is good. I like theology. Theology will not make you like God. It just won't. It has its place. It has its role. But it's not what will get you there. Theology is good, but it's not how we become like God. We become like God through union, through participation, through finding various ways where we connect with God in Christ. And over time, we become godly. We become Christian. We become Christ-like. 
We become those that presently bear the image of God, the image of Christ in the world. We become the body of Christ, you might say. We become like God by union with God. To as many as received him and believed in him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. This is what Jesus made possible by taking on human nature. Why, why, does, why does the Logos become human? The word of God himself indeed assumed humanity that we might become God. This is the greatest wonder of all. That we've been invited to the dance. To participation in the divine nature. How do we participate? First of all, by faith. We believe in Jesus. But to as many as believed in him. To as many as received Jesus. Believe in Jesus. This is the first step of participation. Be baptized. Be baptized. See, this is baptism into Christ. And then we have, we have this here. This cup of blessing which we bless is our, do you know the word? Participation. Koinia. Sharing, fellowship in the blood of Christ. This bread which we break is our participation in the body of Christ. Salvation is achieved not by getting a certain score on a theological test. It's achieved by participating in Christ. Beloved, now are we the children of God. We are the children of God right now. Right now. I'm, I'm sitting in a society of... as. As C.S. Lewis would say, of possible gods and goddesses. Now we are the children of God. It's not yet appear, but we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we'll be like him. Stand up with me. I, ho I hope this lit the candle of joy in you. That you're much more than you thought you were. And everyone else is too. This is what makes war so horrible. Who are we to go drop bombs on God's other children? And so now we come to participate in the divine nature by participating in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the greatest wonder of all. Join with me first in confessing our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's confess our sins and receive the Lord's forgiveness. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, 
have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.